Let's go to Acts, please. Acts 6. So in the beginning of the series in Acts, we talked about how that uh, we're in a story that Luke is describing. Remember the book of, or the gospel of Luke is part one, and the book of Acts is part two of Luke's uh, treatise, uh, what he's writing for this. And so he, remember we looked at when we started the series that he wanted to give certainty. He was writing to a man by the name of Theophilus. And we don't know much about him, but we know that he was trying to uh, basically tell Theophilus this faith in Jesus Christ is real. Okay, th- this is true. And, and you can have certainty that it's true. I'm going to show you why. And so he writes Luke. And then he begins and he picks up an axe. And he says, you know, I started this. Let me continue this. And he talks about how Jesus rises from the dead. He talks about how he appears to the disciples. We talk about how that he empowers the disciples. Remember in Acts 1 and verse 8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. We see in Acts 2, the Spirit of God falling down and doing an indwelling work in believers, which was new uh, during that time and, and has carried into the, today. And, and we talked about how that we are continuing the story in a lot of ways. The things that we're seeing in Acts, we're, we're, we're the next chapters beyond it. Now, that doesn't mean that everything we read in these chapters of Acts, we should expect to be happening to us. Um, it just means that we're continuing the story that Luke has been laying out. We're a few chapters beyond Acts 28, but nonetheless, nevertheless, this is our story that we're talking about here uh, today. And so the text that we're going to read today is going to be instructive to us. But here's what I, I, you know, I, I'd like to, to put out there uh, for this series and, and, or this sermon, and uh, hopefully by the end of this you believe me. Um, we should live the most godly, unified, confident year of our lives in 2021. Okay, this should be the most godly, confident, unified year of our life because we should be continually growing in Christ and we should be growing closer to Christ. Okay, and that should be an outwork and we should see that changing us as we are living out the Christian faith. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to show, uh, hopefully from this text of scripture, how that this story is really important to us. Because it's our story in many ways. Uh, this, we're not going to be most confident and unified and godly in our lives this year because of uh, a new president or a new vaccine or a stronger economy. We're going to live, or we must live, godly, confident, peaceful lives because this is the story that we are called to live out during our time on earth. And so today's text, it helps us realize the power of knowing the story and why Stephen's episode is directly applicable to our story. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick up from Acts 6, and I'm going to start in verse 8. But by way of reminder, we've already looked at the first seven verses in Acts 6, and that was when that there was a problem where some of the widows were being neglected in the distribution of food. And so to solve this problem, they appointed seven people that they gave parameters. They had to be godly people, full of the Spirit. And one of those persons' name was Stephen. And so we're going to continue on in learning about Stephen and his ministry here. So this is Acts chapter 6 and verse 8. I am going to read 
all the way to chapter 8 and verse 3. Now, I'll stop along the way and, you know, try to, try to keep our attention and things like that. But let me encourage you to do the work and, and focus in on this and pay attention, particularly if you're watching online. It's even more hard, and I, and I pray even more hard for that because of the distractions. It seems like they're even greater there. And so let me just encourage you to really focus in on this text. Um, you know, one of the goals uh, that we have in this series is that by the end of this, we will have read through the entire book of Acts together as a congregation out loud. And so that's why we're doing this, okay? So you pay attention, and I'll try to keep it interesting as we go along. I'll try to read this expression, and I'll try to pronounce names correctly and all that stuff. And if I, if I don't, you can just internally laugh at me, okay? Just don't do it out loud. All right, here we go. Acts chapter 6 and verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, of the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians, of those of Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. I won't take a lot of time to explain what the synagogue of the freedmen there is. So basically, these were people who were formerly in a family or they themselves were slaves and they had bought their freedom or granted their freedom. And it seems that there was a synagogue that these people typically gathered together at. Verse 10. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. So these people in the synagogue were rising up against Stephen, and, but they couldn't withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Verse 11, then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat on the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia. Before he lived in Haran, he said to them, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived with Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring will be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. But I will judge the nation that they serve, said God, and after that they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the 12 patriarchs. That's referring to the 12 sons of Jacob when he says patriarchs there. And the patriarchs, so the 11, because Joseph was one of them, and the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan, and great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. 
But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. So Jacob sends his sons, who Luke is uh, quoting Stephen saying our fathers. Those are the 12 sons, or the 11, because Joseph's already there. Verse 13, and on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob, his father, and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down to Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in a tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor and Shechem. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight. He was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, who made you ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became a father of two sons. Now when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, and a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. And as he drew near to look, there came the voice of the Lord. I am the, Lord your, the, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, and of Isaac, and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their groaning. And I've come down to deliver them, and now come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in a bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside. And in their hearts, they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, make for us gods who will go before us. As for this, Moses, who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven. As is written in the book of the prophets, Did you bring to me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Molech and the star of your god, Rapham, the images that you made to worship, I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers, in turn, brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. 
So it was until the days of David, who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made with hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? And what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? And this is where Stephen then turns to the high priest and the council. He says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in your hearts and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did not your fathers persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he cried out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved, that word can be translated delighted, of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Let's pray. Father, we've read this text of Scripture, and I pray that it would be instructive to us. I pray that as I speak now about it, that I would speak accurately and in a way that is helpful. And again, we need your Spirit to do that. I pray that you would help us to focus and help us to uh, see what you have for us here, and I pray that you'd be honored by our time that we spend together. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. What a, what a story. And we can see how God's using this, and we see why Luke would record this for us. And, and Stephen's defense isn't really much of a defense. It's more of a history lesson. But I think we can learn something from that. I think we can learn that we should be informed by history and that we should see what God has done, and we should learn from that and move forward. Again, it's all about being part of a story, the story that God has written in eternity past and has asked us to live out. He's asked us to live unified. He's asked us to live godly. He's asked us to live confident. And, and, and your faith can be the most confident it has ever been in this year And if, it's, if we just turn and look to Christ. So here's what I want to do today over the next few minutes that I have is I just want to uh, talk about our story a little bit from this text and how it's applicable to us. And so the first idea that I wanted to share is that our story includes chapters we never would have written, okay? The story that you and I are called to live out includes sections in it that we never would have written if it were totally up to us. Like if, if, if we were the author of our own story, if, if, if we could write out the narrative to our life, there are chapters that you're living or have lived and will live that you never would have included because, quite frankly, you just don't like it, and it's difficult, and it's hard. 
And we see this in, 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 uh, in this text here. I don't think Stephen, when he signed up in Acts chapter 6, and he says, okay, I want to help with this problem with the widows and their distribution. I want to help them, and I want to, I want to serve. And he was, he was a man full of the Spirit. I don't think he had in his mind you know, that I am going to write out, or the, you know how I'm going to die? I, you know, I think I'm going to be stoned. I think that's what I want to be happen. In the process of stoning, and that they, we read from the Mishnah, which is an ancient Hebrew document that kind of talks about the customs of the day. It comes from the second century. And the Mishnah tells us that one of the ways, and I don't know if this was the way that it was Stephen, it may not have been because it seemed like it was more of just a reactionary, but typically what they would do is that the Mishnah tells us that there was a pit that had to be at least twice the height of the person, that then they would shove them into the pit, then they would begin to cast the stones at him. Because if the, the fall didn't kill him, then the stones would do. And they would first try to do it with a very strategically placed stone being thrown at the person. Uh, and if that didn't do it, then the, the rest of the people would come forward with stones. It was brutal. It was terrible. It was awful. It was painful. And I, don't, and I can tell you that Stephen would not have said, you know what? When I get to heaven, how I want to get to heaven is I want to I have uh, this stoning happened. But that was the chapter that was written for him. Hey, you know, throughout this text, we see several examples and some moments that, that as I read the story, there were many moments that I would have edited out if I were the author of the story. In fact, what I did in my study is I took the, the text of Scripture and I, I copied it into a Word document and I printed it out, double-spaced it, and I typically do that a lot so I can just make different notes and things like this. But this time what I did with it is, is I took it and I took a, a, a red highlighter that I have in every place where I thought, man, I'd edit that out, I just highlighted that and highlighted that. And you could see that there are several places in this text where I would be like, nope, nope, not me, no, I wouldn't have written that, I wouldn't have done that, wouldn't have been my plan. You know, some of them include the, the religious people not listening to Stephen, that they're debating. Maybe he wasn't doing anything wrong. He was doing everything right. He was doing, he was doing uh, what God was asking him to do. And the religious people, it was, it was the religious crowd. And it's always the religious crowd, it seems like, in the scriptures. And so it shouldn't be surprising to us that we get pushed back from a religious crowd here in, in 2021. But it was the religious crowd that was against Stephen. It was against, they were against Jesus. They were against Stephen here. And, and it was... Um, the whole notion of being a sojourner, slavery, affliction. Did you notice in the story when, when Stephen's giving this account of the promise to Abraham that God was giving to him, you know, one of the things he said is that he says, he's not going to get any of the land, not even a foot of it, okay? Those promise that he given to him. And by the way, his people, they're going to be in affliction for 400 years. God said that from the beginning that this was going to happen. I would have edited that out. I wouldn't have written that. That wouldn't have been my chapter. I wouldn't have wanted that. The underhanded tactics that the people used with Stephen. Did you notice that when we read that? They tried to, to reason with him. They tried to debate him. That didn't work. And so what did they do? They instigated, they incited, they paid off people, false witnesses, to twist his words. I wouldn't want that to be done to me. I'd write that out of my chapter. I'd write that chapter right out of my story. Uh, Joseph's story of, of, of being a slavery family. I mean, his brothers, his own brothers sold him into slavery. I mean, these are things that Stephen is just going through this text. He's just kind of giving us the historical account. But we got to stop and we got to think of what those two or three sentences actually communicate and the pain involved to having your brother sell you into slavery and then being forgotten in slavery multiple times and in serving God. And the reason why he even got there was because of trumped up charges. I wouldn't want that in my story. 
I wouldn't want that chapter. I wouldn't have to go through that. Moses' story of infanticide, uh, infanticide and, and rejection, Israel going back to Egypt in their hearts, persecution of the prophets, Stephen's death, as we've talked about, the persecution of the church that we see in Acts chapter 8 where, where Saul says he's going and he's, just, he's a lunatic and he's going out and, he's, and he's, he's, he's pulling people from the houses and throwing them into prison. Saul's rage, I would edit all these things out. But, those, but that's not the, the time that I'm living in. I'm living in 2021. What are some things I would edit out today if I could? This pandemic, I wouldn't have written that into the story. I wouldn't have said, yeah, this will be good. Let's do that. The chronic health concerns for people that I care about, that we're praying for in our church, I so wish I could just take it away. Social, racial injustice, division in our country, division in our church, Christian nationalism, storming the Capitol last week. I wouldn't have written that into our story. Abuse, all forms, emotional, sexual, physical, mental, poverty. The list could go on and on, and you could come up with your own list. Is that There were plenty of things that we just would not write into our story. And the reality is, is that we live in a broken world, but Jesus told us that it would be difficult, so we shouldn't be surprised when he's proven to be correct, right? Okay, and so the point I'm trying to make here is that the story that you and I are called to live includes difficult chapters, chapters that we would not want to live. But the reality is we're called to live it for a divine purpose and for divine glory. Some of you are walking difficult paths right now, whether you're here or you're online watching, you are walking difficult paths right now. And I I wish I could change it. I wish I could write it out in the story, but I can't. And the reality is the author knows what he's doing. You see, even though we want to write it out, we got to trust a sovereign God through this. And so here's, here's the application that I'd like to make from this before I move on to the second point is this. Don't let the difficult chapters distract you from following Jesus. You see, that's the problem that happens is that Stephen here, as he's going through this, one of the things that we notice here about Moses, about jo- uh, Joseph, about David, all of these men, Abraham, all of these men, they were not perfect and we can see their sins. They are recorded for posterity, right? Okay, but they followed God. Not perfectly, but they follow God. Don't get distracted by the difficult chapters in life from following Jesus. A common theme in Scripture is the need to fight against the distractions uh, that come our way. And so, you know, poor health, broken relationships, financial pressure, people who disappoint us, dead-end jobs, all of these things can distract us from following Jesus. And so my plea for us in 2021 is that we don't allow that to happen. James chapter 1 says, Count it all joy, my, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the test in your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You see, the author of our story, thankfully, is not us. The author of your story, thankfully, is not you. Because if it were, we wouldn't know what to put into our story that is best for us. But God does. And even though we don't always like the chapter, we're reading through the book and we're like, what? What? What's going on here? Or you're watching a movie, you've watched a movie and and things are happening and you're you're like, nah, uh uh-uh, nah, uh uh-uh, right? You wouldn't write that in, but in the end, there's a purpose for it. The same is true with our lives. 
So don't let difficult chapters distract you from following Jesus. And then I'll say this, don't let other people distract you from following Jesus. You know, a common theme of Scripture is the need to fight against the distractions of people who should be working with us. Stephen highlights this. I've already talked about this. Moses. I mean, this guy, this guy, he didn't even want to be leading these people. And he was leading these people. He was doing the best he can. And they just kept complaining against him. And they, they, they literally tried to kill him at one point. Now, in my leadership, I've had to fight against people who should be supporting me. I've had, you know, that. And I know the pain and difficulty of that. And it's some, but I don't know of anyone who's tried to kill me yet, okay? And so, and I want to keep it that way, all right, okay? Uh, but the point is, is that Moses had it rough. And yet, he continued to follow God. David, he had people against him. His own son was against him trying to get the throne. Joseph, we talked about how his brothers, this is what Stephen's talking about. And he's saying that basically you religious crowd, you should be proclaiming this message with me instead of attacking me for it. Nehemiah and Paul could also affirm this reality. We have to fight against even the people who should be helping us. But it's not so much about fighting them, because I don't want to communicate that. It's about following Christ in the midst of that distraction. So don't let other people's disobedience deter you from your mission. Don't get worked up about the hypocrisy of the left or the right right now. Don't be so emotionally invested in the bias of the media right now. I'm seeing this all over the place. I mean, to, to, to be upset by the bias of the media is like being surprised that skunks stink, Okay. We just know it's going to happen, left or right, okay? It's going to happen, all right? I'm not saying that we shouldn't do anything to try to help that and all that stuff. That's not my point. But my point is, is that we can't get so emotionally invested in this. We can't get so worked up about this, about a political party or a political person. Jesus has not asked us to meet the vitriol and hypocrisy and disgust towards others with the same attitudes and actions. But too many Christians are doing that. Too many Christians are seeing the vitriol, seeing the hypocrisy, and seeing the anger and all this stuff, and so they're disgusted by it, but what they're doing is then they're just giving it right back in it. And Jesus has said, don't do that. We're called to a different life and a different response. Christians are called to be faithful, principled, a holy presence in a foreign land. Let's act that way. This is what we're called to be. So can you say that you're being faithful, principled, and holy? See, 2021 is the year for us to grow in this. And, 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 and I've seen great examples of this. I've seen great examples of people, even in our church, that are living holy, principled, confident lives for Christ. But I also see people who are getting distracted by the off mission right now. And let me just say, as your pastor who loves you and is, is praying over you, is weeping over you at times, don't get distracted from what we're called to be and what we're called to do here in this life. Can you say that we view this life and country as a temporary stay in a foreign land? You see, that's, that's key to this. You see, this is what we see in Stephen's message here is that, you know, Abraham, it was, he, he, he didn't even get a foot of the land. It, and it was just a temporary stay. And, and all of this was just is moving the mission forward. And the same is true with us. So Christians, we're called to be faithful, principled, holy presence in a foreign land. So how can we have confidence? during this difficult seasons or difficult seasons, when we find ourselves in these chapters that we don't like, that we would edit out if we could possibly do it, how do we um, have confidence? Well, that leads to the second point is this. Knowing the end of the story sustains us in the present difficult chapters. Knowing the end of the story sustains us in the present difficult chapters. You see, this is why Stephen was so calm. I mean, it, it's not by any chance that 
Verse 15 of chapter 6, it, Luke records that the people gazing at him, they, they saw his face was like the face of an angel. Okay, and he wasn't an angel, but he had that peace and that confidence. Now, I, I don't know about you, but every time I read about angels in the Bible, they don't strike me as fearful or cowering. In fact, actually, that's what they invoke in other people, right? I mean, these are, these are confident and powerful beings that God has created, right? Okay, and when it says that they had the face of an angel, there's confidence there. There's peace there. Now, how could he, when, when he was, when he was so, I mean, first of all, his words are being twisted. Uh, people, are, false witnesses are being hired against him. And he's confident and calm in this. How is that possible? Well, because he knew the end of the story. How do I know that that was it? Because of what he did in chapter 7. He doesn't really give a defense. He doesn't say, well, wait a minute here. No, let me prove to you why this is true. No, 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 these people are wrong. No, no, no. He says, let me tell you the story. And he goes in and he tells the whole story of this redemption plan that God has set up. And he begins it with Abraham. And it's just a beautiful story that he tells. You see, the power of the story, knowing the story, believing that what we're called to live out, believing that we are in this narrative, believing that the end has been determined already, gives us great confidence today because we don't have to figure out what the ending is. This is not a choose-your-own-adventure life that we have. This is follow Christ. You remember those books, Choose Your Own Adventure? At the end of a chapter, turn to this page and turn to this page if you want to do this and you never know how the story's going to end. Yeah, that's not life. God has this planned out. Now, I'm not saying we don't have free will in that. That's a whole other discussion. But the point is God uses that and he's directing us towards what he has set up and he has ordained. Look at his response here, and as I've told you, note he didn't have time to study. This is, this is the beauty of this, is that this is not a well-polished sermon. He didn't have 20 hours in the study. He didn't have things that he, in commentaries that he was pulling down and he was reading. He didn't have you know, dedicated time to study. This was an outworking of him knowing his Bible. That's what happened here, and it's beautiful. He knew the Scriptures, and and he just gives this wonderful response to this because he knew how it was going to end. I think I may have given this illustration before. I, I probably have, but, um, you know, I don't pretend that people remember what I say anyway, so I'll just give it again. And if you have heard it before, just act like it's the first time you've heard it. Um, you, I, there was a time I remember where uh, I was uh, at a youth activity. This was when I was in Rhode Island. I was a youth pastor in Rhode Island, and... and um, uh, it was Saturday. We did the youth activities on Saturday, and I was doing the youth activity, and, and this was in the fall, so Michigan was playing, and it was a big game, and uh, I didn't get a chance to see the game because we were doing the youth activity, and so I recorded it on our VCR. Remember those? Remember those? Yeah. Okay. Uh, just out of curiosity, how many still have a VCR in your house? All right, I do too. Okay, we're all nerds. Okay, anyway, moving on. Okay, so I remember the VCR, so I remember recording it and stuff like this. And I remember my brother, you know, let me know. Uh, you know, he called me or somebody says, like, hey, can you believe this game? I can't believe we won. And I was like, yeah. 
right. Actually, I didn't really mind so much, but uh, I was like, okay, cool. We won. All right. He's like, man. I said, well, what happened? He's like, oh, man. So you didn't watch it? I said, no, I'm at the youth activity. I got a recording. He's like, oh, you got to watch this thing, and you got to tell me all about it. You, you, you know, call me back when you watch it, because this was an insane game. And it really was. It went, I think, triple overtime and all this stuff. It was an amazing game. Obviously, Michigan won. That's why it was amazing to me. And so, you know, uh, you know, and so I remember watching the game later on. And we're getting home and watching the game. And I sat down and watching it. And I remember, like, I had zero anxiety at all during the game. When one of our players got hurt, it didn't bother me. When the coach made a, a bonehead decision, and I'm like, why are we running the ball at, you know, third and long? And what? That's going on. When we fumbled the ball, I was like, man, all right. All right. Cool. All right. Why? Because I knew the outcome. I knew that it wasn't going to affect the end of the game. And so I could actually just enjoy, even in the moments, even in the moments of like what, what I wouldn't have written into that script. I wouldn't have written an injury into our, I wouldn't have written into coaching mistakes. I wouldn't have written all that into the, the play uh, or, or the, the, uh, the game plan of that game. But when it happened, it didn't bother me because I knew the outcome of the game. See, we can have confidence, we can have security in our lives, even in the difficult chapters that we wouldn't have written in, in all those moments, because we know the end of the story. And so if you consider yourself a Christian, now I would say not that you can have confidence, I would say that you should have confidence and certainty because you know the end. So do you know the story? Do you live as if you know the end of the story? Do you spend time getting to know the author of the story? You see, Stephen knew this story. He knew the Bible, and this is why, what was available to him. And so he knew, and he could have confidence, and the same is true with us. And so this is why I say 2021 can be the most confident year of your life if you fix your eyes on Jesus and allow the Bible to inform your thinking. Don't get distracted. Don't get distracted by everything else going around out there. Don't, get, don't let them get it off mission. Don't get, don't get so worked up about all the things that are happening here. Should we be concerned citizens? Sure. Fine, we can talk about that another time. But for right now, what I'm saying is that we can't afford to let anything distract us from the mission that God has called us to. We can't allow anything to take our eyes off Jesus Christ. We got to go back to the book. We got to know this book right here because it will inform us of how we can think and how we can have confidence. When you think the world is burning all around you and things are happening that is robbing you or attempting to rob you of your joy, go to this book, people. Go here. Because this is the book that will tell you what is happening and what will happen in the end. Jesus Christ comes back. He sets all things right. We spend eternity with him and we glorify him in peace and joy forever and ever and ever. That's the book here, people. So go back to the book. This year, don't let anything distract you from it. Just, just put aside all that stuff. Just, just get rid of it. There's so many things. And you know, you know what is distracting you. Just put it aside. Jesus is good. He wins. And we're on that team if you're a follower of Christ. Don't get distracted. We can have the most peace. We can have the most joy. We can have the most influence. We can live the most holy life that we've ever had in 2021 if we just simply look to Jesus. Imitate Jesus. Know your Bible. Not just academically. Don't, I'm not talking about facts about the Bible. I'm talking about it. You know it practically, and you let it inform your thinking and your feelings. 
I got one more thing to say, or one more point to say, and then we'll wrap this up. I'll try not to get too emotional. We won't mind the difficult chapters when we get to the end of the story. Can I just encourage you with that? When we get to the end of the story, we're not going to mind that we went through difficult seasons. It's hard right now, and you'll do anything to change it. I, I know that there's people that are living, there's going through situations right now in our church that if they could, if they had the wish, if they had the genie in the bottle and they had the three wishes, I could tell you what their wishes would be because I know what they're going through. But I'm going to tell you that if you're listening right now and you're going through one of those seasons, let me just tell you with all sincerity and love, when you get to the end, you're not going to mind. Because you're going to see that Jesus carried you through this. You see, in the end of this story, where we ended, compare Stephen and Saul. Stephen is praying. He has a face of an angel. He's praying for his enemies. He's fearless. He's trusting in Jesus. Where do we find Saul right now? He's angry. He's delighting in an execution, a wrongful, unjust execution. He's delighting in this. He's on a rage rampage. He's indiscriminate of people. He's supporting injustice. Look at the contrast here. Stephen was confident what was going to happen. Saul, he was still trying to figure it all out. See, we won't mind these difficult chapters because great is our reward if we stand for Christ. Matthew chapter 5 says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. I wouldn't write that into my story. But he says, you will be blessed if you have that because rejoice and be glad if this happens to you. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets that were before you. So the illustration here is that, that Jesus is saying, even if these things that happen to you, your reward will be great and you won't mind it. You won't mind it. There's a story in the Bible of Jacob and Rachel. Jacob sees Rachel and, I mean, he's, he's smitten. I mean, this is, this is a love story. You read about this in Genesis, Genesis 29, and he, he sees her, and, and he wants to marry her, and so he's, he's talking to her dad, Laban, and, and Laban's like, yeah, you can marry my daughter. You got to work for me for seven years first, all right? Seven years, seven years. I'm just glad Anuk's parents didn't say that to me, but, you know, you know, uh, you know, I, seven years. You know what the Bible says? Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. I mean, that's straight up Hallmark movie, right? Okay? I mean, that is straight up Hallmark. But the point is, is that it just seemed but a moment because the reward was so great. The love that he had for her, the relationship, it just seemed like it was nothing. The story goes on where he has to serve another seven years because Laban tricks him, but that's a whole different part of it. But the point is, is that he just, he, he, he just loved it and it didn't bother him. At the end of it, it, didn't, it just seemed like but a moment. The difficult chapters right now seem so long and it seems like they're never going to end. But I'm going to tell you, when we look back from eternity, they're going to seem like it was a moment. We're going to see it was like a moment. It was like, and Anuk and I, we have something we talk about at a trial that we went through, a difficulty we went through, and it was many years long. And then when, and now it just seems like a moment. And when we get to heaven, the difficult thing that we're going through, the difficult chapters of life, it will just seem 
Like, it was just a moment. Let me illustrate this further. No one looks back on a championship football season and wishes that they had an easier schedule. No one looks back on the championship season and says, you know, you know, we, man, we had three games that went into double overtime, and we had injuries, and we had this and all this. I sure wish that it would have been a lot easier. I wish that, you know, Wisconsin's not wishing that they would have played Michigan every game, okay? You know, like, that would have been an easy win every time this year, okay? You know, they're not, they're not thinking that. They're thinking, man, we, we, we beat some tough competition. We overcame adversity. Now, we're not going to be that way and that uh, self-centered when we get to heaven. But what we're going to say is we're going to say Jesus overcame the competition. We're going to see that Jesus carried us through. The hardest parts in football, whether the heat of August or the cold of November, that's what people remember. That's what people, you know, I, I, uh, I have a friend, he's a pastor in a small town in, in uh, Illinois. And a few years back, their small little town won their state championship in football. And it was a difficult season. And he tells me that every time that they tell that story of the championship game, he says this, he says, every time I hear someone tell the story about that championship game, it gets 10 degrees colder out. You know, it was like, you know, it was negative 25 degrees outside. And the next time here, it was negative 70 out. You know, I mean, you know, this is because we look back at what God, that's what we treasure is those difficult moments because we fondly remember the hard opponents, not the easy ones. And so let me just encourage you when you get to heaven, you're going to look back and you're not going to say, I overcame this. You're going to look back and say, look what Jesus did. And it will make it all worth it in a moment, I guarantee it. So knowing the end sustains us in the present. When we see Jesus, we'll be glad we had difficult chapters. It will be a great testimony of how Christ sustained us. You see, Joseph, remember, remember Stephen talked about Joseph going to prison? He doesn't regret his time in prison. He sees how God used it. How do I know that? Genesis 50 verse 20 says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You see, he doesn't regret the time that he had to spend in prison. He didn't like it in the moment. He, didn't, he, he wouldn't have written it into a story. But now he says, I get it. And I, don't, I, can't, I, I wish I could write things out of your story. I wish I could edit them out. I wish I could take my, my red highlighter and highlight it out and say, nope, not part of your story. I wish I could take the pain and the suffering away. I really do. I wish I could, but I can't. But I can promise you this. When we get to heaven, when we see Jesus, it will be worth it all. And we will look back and we'll say, yes, he sustained us. Yes, he was glorified. But only if we don't get distracted, people. Don't get distracted. So let me finish with this. Realize that God is greater than the difficulty found in the unwanted chapters of our story. Right now, we find ourselves in unrest. We find ourselves in our nation, the places in our nation that just turn my stomach. The way people are acting, the way Christians are acting, it's really bothersome to me in many ways. But I cannot let that get to be distracting me from following Christ. There's so many times I just want to give up. Sometimes I get that tempt. like, what's the, what's the use? And that's when I'm listening to the whispers of Satan. You see, Jesus has written the story, and we're living it out, and we, we, we can follow him. God is greater than the difficulty found in the wide chapters of the story. Let me tell you, encourage you, know your Bible. 
please, if you have a lot of anxiety and a lot of frustration with the world, let me just turn, go back, go back to the scriptures, turn off the news, turn off the, the feeds, and just get to, get alone with the scriptures and alone with God. And let me tell you, you will see that you have hope and confidence greater this year than any other year if we look to Christ. So look to the end, not the present. This is what I would hope for us today. Let me give you some homework and then I'll pray. Identify what could be chipping away your certainty and hope. Let me just encourage you to spend time praying, spend time looking and saying, okay, why do I get my, why is my soul anxious? Why am I getting worked up? What's going on? What is chipping away at my certainty and my hope right now, this week? Spend time doing that. And if you do it, then you take those things and you just begin to talk to God about it. Okay? Because sometimes it's like we, we, we know we're anxious, but we don't know exactly why. You spend time trying to parse that out. Talk about it with someone. A spouse, a close friend, someone, I'd be happy to just, just verbally process that and, um, and, and go to Christ about it. Ask God to help you see the value of unwanted chapters in your life. Um, you know, we all want comfort and ease. We all want pain to go away. We all want difficulty to go away. I'm first in line on that. So this is, I, told, I tell you, I tell you, I've been telling you this for eight years now. I preach sermons I need to hear, okay? Now this sermon today, I needed to hear. I needed it this week. You know, go back and ask God to help you see the value of the unwanted chapters in your life. Make 2020 a year where you spend more time in the Word than on Twitter, Facebook, or in the news. Please, please. <laughs> you will find that you'll have so much more joy and more peace if you just run to the Scriptures. And I'm not saying don't be informed, but I'm saying our hope to get you through this life is found right here. It's right here. So spend time in it. Read it. This is the beginning of the year. People love making New Year's resolutions and stuff like this. Read the Word. We've got that Bible reading program that's going on, the Chronological Bible Reading Program. You can jump in on that. You don't, it's not too late. You can just jump in on that. Uh, we've got some books available for that. If, that. if you want to use that, we'd be more than happy to help you with that. But let this be a year where you spend more time in the Scriptures than anywhere else. Father, I don't know if this has been helpful or not, but I know it's been a blessing to my soul just to be reminded and have to publicly stand in front of people and, and confess what I believe to be true with all my heart. I, I don't pretend to have all the answers, but you do, God. Your word does. It's strong. Your word is a strong tower. Your word is a healing balm, and your word is for us today. And I pray that we would not be distracted, God. May this year be the year where we live most confident, holy, bold lives of our entire lives because we are refusing to be distracted by anything else from our mission, from what you were called to do. Father, you have done what only you can do. I mean, Acts 1.8 says the gospels can go to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And what do we see happening in Acts chapter 8 with Paul's persecution, Saul's persecution? We see the gospel going there. You're great, God. You can do anything. So use whatever difficulty we're finding ourselves in. Lord, I pray this year that we would not just try to escape it, but we try to endure for your namesake and in your power knowing that in the end, you will set all things right and we will uh, be glorified in you and you will be glorified in this life. In Christ's name we do pray, amen.